Hey, boss fam. Thanks for tuning in. You're about to listen to one of the OG episodes from back when this podcast was called The Everything Enthusiast, and I identified as a creativity and mindset coach for multi-passionates. I tell you this because I may use the term everything enthusiast a lot and say some other stuff about my offers and motivations that might be different from my new identity. But you get me. Reinventing ourselves is what we multi-passionates do best. So thanks for being here and enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Everything Enthusiast. I'm really excited about doing this podcast because for a while now, I've been a creativity coach and um, writing on the subject of creativity. And I found that when I wrote articles about this particular topic, they really seemed to resonate more than anything else with my particular audience. You know, I would get people responding with the the hand raised emoji, like you're talking about me or, um, you know, few people who said, I never knew there was a word for what I am. And after a lifetime of being this way and really wrestling with, you know, what I felt were expectations, um, about around success and, and what that looks like for most people really feeling like I was doing it all wrong. So it just, it became really important to me to let other people know who are in this boat. Um, and, and probably if you're listening to this podcast, that applies to you as well, that, um, that it's okay that, uh, that we are this way and our definition of success probably looks different from other people's. I remember specifically talking to this one woman about her husband who was a dentist and, um, that's, that's a, you know, pretty specialized career already. You have to do a lot of, uh, very specific training around becoming a dentist for many, many years. And she was just so upset that he hadn't specialized within the dentistry field. And I remember asking her why, and it was, it was a hundred percent because he could have made more money, you know, and here I'm pretty sure that he made six figures as it was and clearly, clearly loved what it was that he did. And that's where it becomes really important, I think, to redefine, you know, what success means to us. If you love what it is that you're doing, who cares if you make six figures or seven figures? I mean, ultimately that we all know that that doesn't necessarily buy you happiness. So, so I just thought that it would be really nice to, you know, talk about this topic some more and kind of help people find one another. You know, it, it really helps to know that you're not alone. If you, if you happen to be the way I'm going to describe an everything enthusiast, uh, within this episode. So that's kind of what I thought I would do for the very first episode is talk about what it means to be this way, to see if you, you know, recognize yourself in, in some of what I'm describing. Probably for most of us, you're not going to be all of these things, but it kind of helps to sort of figure out which of these particular items you identify with, because it does help developing a strategy for moving forward and becoming more productive and getting uh, as much work done as you can in a day and in a lifetime. So that's kind of where we're headed with this today. So for starters, I thought that we would talk about the terms that people use to describe people who are, I'm using the word everything enthusiasts, but there are tons of different words that people use. And I thought we would go through them kind of one by one and unpack them a little bit. 
So the very first one that comes to mind is generalist. That word is used basically to describe the opposite of a specialist. You know, a specialist is someone who goes to school for many years, uh, potentially to become, for example, an endodontist rather than a general dentist. And the reason I don't like this word, first of all, doesn't it sound so boring? Like a generalist is a basic bitch. Am I right? Like that's just what it feels like to me. And, you know, by no means am I putting down generalists out there. I'm just saying the word isn't particularly complimentary. It just sounds really vanilla. It also sort of implies to me that you have a cursory knowledge of the things that you do know, almost as if you've just sort of skimmed the cliff's notes of all the various subjects that you're interested in. And that isn't true, at least of me at all. I become obsessed with whatever the subject is that I happen to be most excited about in that moment. And I go deep. So generalist doesn't doesn't work because of that sort of implied superficial degree of interest. And also clearly it is meant to imply that specializing is the one true way that is better. Generalists, it's kind of, it's kind of boring. It's kind of bland. You just, you know, a little bit about everything. You're a dabbler. So you may hear that word in reference to you if you consider yourself to be an everything enthusiast, but you don't have to identify with it. I certainly don't. So, so yeah, well, I'll leave that one right there. <laughs> Jack of all trades. And you'll also hear me use Jill of all trades. I want to be equal opportunity here, but there's a lot to, uh, to unpack around this one. Um, the term is used to describe a multi-skilled person and get this with average efficiency. So again, just like skimmed the Cliff's notes version of, you know, their particular knowledge in, in varying subjects. The origin goes back to when Jack was used as a generic name for any general representative of the common people. So vanilla, vanilla, vanilla. And the usage of the phrase dates back to the 14th century in a um, Middle English poem that was written in 1390. And the quote, as I'm sure all of you are familiar, is jack of all trades, master of none. So it is indeed intended to be a derogatory name for people. And I hate that. I just think that that is such an unfortunate thing because I absolutely consider myself a a Jill of all trades. And I think that that would make me useful as fuck in a zombie apocalypse. Like there are just so many things that I know more than just a little bit about more than just a generalized knowledge of. And, uh, you know, if, if it was the end of the world and we were called upon to, you know, create a community from the ground up, a lot of those skills would come in really handy. So here again, by contrasting master, which, you know, clearly is set up to be like what everybody should strive for to whatever the opposite of master is basically sets us up, those of us who like to do everything, um, as kind of failing at life. So, um, there again, you can call yourself a a jack of all trades if you like it, if you identify with it, I do, but it sort of means 
skewing the definition to to suit a more positive belief or identity around around that particular phrase. The next one is multipotentialite. And that one is such a mouthful. Sometimes it's shortened to multipod, which is a little bit easier to say and write. And both of these terms come from Emily Wapnick, who writes or has created a community at her website, Putty-like. And the word stems from the psychology term multipotentiality. And so I found a definition here from an article by Tamara Fisher called multipotentiality. Multipotentiality is the state of having many exceptional talents, any of which could make for a great career. Gifted children often have multipotentiality. Their advanced intellectual abilities and their intense curiosity make them prime candidates for excelling in multiple areas. This can be both a blessing and a curse. On the bright side, they have many realistic options for future careers. But on the downside, some of them will struggle mightily trying to decide which choice to make. Particularly in the last couple years of high school and the first few years of college, this momentous decision with so many great possible outcomes can be a source of debilitating stress. Can any of you relate to that? I think especially these days, um, because we have so many options, if any of you have high school age or college age kids, you know, they haven't even fully formed their frontal lobe yet at that age, which is the uh, decision-making center of the brain. So how on earth are they supposed to figure this out? Especially when you go from, and we'll talk a lot more about this in later episodes, when you go from the elementary school and junior high school model of you know six subjects a day and you get to switch to a new one every hour, and then suddenly you have to pick something to specialize on. So, you know, now this is going to be your focus for the next four years or possibly eight or however long, if you end up going and pursuing a, an advanced degree, it it's, it's a crazy ask, I think. And especially for me, I went to college and I changed my majors half a dozen times, truly started on one opposite end of the spectrum and ended up on the other. I, uh, I went into college as an environmental chemistry major and graduated as a theatrical costume designer. If those two things couldn't be more opposite, right? So Emily is a really interesting person and her website is definitely one that you might want to check out. If all of this resonates with you, that's puttylike.com. I believe I didn't write it in my notes here, but, um, I think that's correct. And it is a great place to, you know, find other people like us who can tell their stories. And again, just, just so you know that you're not, you're not alone. You're not doing this, doing this life all by yourself. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's multi-potentialite. I probably won't use that word too often. I just want to make sure that it's included so that people, if you've heard it, know that I'm still talking about you. But um, at the end of the day, it's just like mouth salad. Like I just get all twisted up when I, when I try to say it. So we probably won't use multi-potentially too much. Another word is scanner. And that comes from Barbara Sher and her book, Refuse to Choose, which is an amazing book. It has essentially become my Bible. Many of the um, hacks and tips that we will discuss in this podcast are borrowed or inspired by Barbara Sher because she apparently is an everything enthusiast and, um, and sort of devoted her life to writing books for people like us 
so that we would have some support and and learn how to sort of uh, navigate a world that, again, told us we were not doing it right. I don't love scanner because to me, it sounds a lot like generalist. It sounds like you're skimming. And like I said, I, I go deep and I know a lot of people who fall into this category who go really deep with their, with their passions and their interests. So I don't particularly identify with the word scanner, but anyway, it's out there. So you know that it does apply. Here's one that I really like polymath. Now bear with me as I go through this, because I think it's pretty noteworthy to discuss. This comes from a centuries old definition of people like us and And note how different this definition is from all of those that I've just gone through. A polymath is described as an individual whose knowledge spans a substantial number of subjects and someone who is known to draw on complex bodies of knowledge to solve specific problems. The earliest recorded use of the term in English is from 1624 by Robert Burton. Um, in Western Europe, the first time the word polymathy was used was in 1603 by Johann von Warren, who described it as ranging freely through all the fields of disciplines as far as the human mind with unwearied industry is able to pursue them. Isn't that cool? Because that that's talking about the human mind having a, amazing capacity And that's talking about unwearied industry, which means hard work. And that with hard work, you can go anywhere your mind will allow you. The sky is really the limit. And so this definition is is completely the opposite of these more derogatory terms that I used earlier, jack of all trades, master of none, most specifically. And that may have something to do with the fact that this was a few centuries ago. Polymaths include the great scholars and thinkers of the Islamic golden age, the Renaissance, the enlightenment. Um, And these are people who excelled at several fields, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the arts. Renaissance humanism says that humans are limitless in their capacity for development. And this concept led to the notion that people should embrace all knowledge and develop their capacities as fully as possible. So this is where we get the term Renaissance man or woman or person. And it is often applied to gifted people who sought to develop their abilities in all areas. So I love this. This is complimentary. This likens people like us to Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, he was a genius, obviously. Um, Benjamin Franklin, there again, a genius. Aristotle, not necessarily do I intend to put myself in the same category with them, but I do think that it is so important to redefine this. Let's look at people who have a good amount of skill in a lot of different categories as talented, as smart. There's a breadth of knowledge there. That's not something to scoff at, I guess. And certainly, you know, for parents raising children who perhaps would prefer that they become endodontists rather than someone like me, who's had a thousand different careers in my life, that isn't, it isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can actually be a good thing. It is just about, you know, redefining it in for ourselves, for our culture, for our families, the people that love us, making sure that they understand that, that it actually is is a gift. And that is, is really what this podcast is intended to do. So I compiled a list of different 
kind of beliefs and, 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 um, ideas around being an everything enthusiast. And I just wanted to sort of, you know, bullet point them here for you guys. You might be an everything enthusiast if you're a victim of shiny object syndrome, you know, that dog from the movie up who's always squirrel. Uh, (laughs) that is literally what people who are everything enthusiasts behave like sometimes. Now this does not necessarily apply to everybody. And just because you have squirrel syndrome doesn't mean that you you're an everything enthusiast. You could just have ADHD or just be extraordinarily distracted. So one thing does not necessarily beget the other, but if you are someone who is like involved in a really cool project and then gets an idea and it takes you off on a tangent in another direction, and then you get really deep into that and you're super excited and then squirrel, and then you're over here again, you might be an everything enthusiast. You might be an everything enthusiast if you're always dreaming up new ideas. Like if you're the idea person in your group of friends, if you come up with the exciting activities or you're always helping people uh, with, with new business ideas or to take their business in a new direction. I have a, a couple friends like this who I refer to as my muses because I can bounce ideas off them all day long. And they're just this like bottomless well of, of new stuff. You know, these are the innovators in society. These are the Steve jobs. And, you know, we need, we need people like this. I certainly do. It always helps to collaborate when it comes to, you know, even my writing or coming up with, with new ideas. We, we need more people in the world like this. You might be an everything enthusiast. If your friends and family tell you how successful you would be, if you'd only stick to something. And I remember having this like heart to heart with one of my very best friends who has been in the same career since he was 16 years old. <laughs> never looked back. And I, I'm, I admire the shit out of that. I, I can't even imagine what that must feel like. There have been so many times in my life where I have wished I was that way, but I remember him looking at me and and his comment was completely full of love. It was, it was meant to imply like you're, you're good at whatever you put your mind to. If you would just put your mind to one thing, you'd be a success. But clearly the implication there is that, you know, I wasn't a success already, certainly not by whatever his definition of success is or was. So you may have heard that at some point in your life, you, you would be successful if you would only stick to one thing. And that probably makes you an everything enthusiast. You are one of these people. If you've had a lot of different jobs and in the course of this podcast, you will hear about the millions of things I have done in my life, many of which I loved, but knew weren't my be all end all nothing wrong with that. If you have a hard time starting, so this applies to all my procrastinators out there. And there's a lot of reasons we procrastinate and that's going to be an entire episode of its own. I I actually have some articles that I plan to pop up on the blog as well, um, around this. And I'm even creating a little quiz about what your procrastination personality style is because all of us procrastinate for different reasons, but specifically for everything enthusiasts, if you have a hard time starting things, this might apply to you. You might have a hard time starting things because choosing which one to start with is, is overwhelming. Choice paralysis is a very real thing. I, in one of my past lives was a wedding planner And I learned very, very quickly that in any given moment, I could not give a bride more than three options. 
I'm not saying in her real life she couldn't handle more than three options, but with all of the stress, um, my cat has the zoomies, so she is racing around in the background while I'm talking right now. With all of the stress of planning a wedding, even when you're focused on picking out a napkin color, you have 48,000 things running through your mind in the background. And for that reason, choice paralysis becomes something that can absolutely inhibit any movement forward. So I learned very quickly that three different colors of napkin choices and that was it. Three types of frosting for the cake, you know, buttercream, whipped cream, chocolate ganache. That's it. Anything beyond that. And you wouldn't get anything done that day. And you'd all have to break and go have martinis to, to get through it. So if you have a hard time starting things, this, this, you might be an everything enthusiast. On the other hand, maybe you have a really easy time starting things and you have a hard time finishing things. I think that I fall into this category couple reasons why you, you lose interest in whatever you were doing. And this is so frustrating if, if this applies to you because you start out and you're so into it, like obsession comes to mind. You're obsessed about the idea. You're digging into it. You've bought a bunch of books, you've bought supplies. You're going to become a photographer, whatever that thing is. And then all of a sudden it's not, it's, ah, it's a lot of, work today. And I have these other things I have to do, my responsibilities. And like, suddenly you haven't pulled out the tripod in a really long time. And you have that fancy camera. And every time you take it out, you have to relearn how to use it. And you're just not into it anymore. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Dream Job Academy. Does your job bum you out? Do you long to feel excited to spring out of bed in the morning and energized to tackle work you adore? We all deserve to feel like this. Our time on this planet is short. Shouldn't we all spend it doing the thing that makes us forget to eat and pee? But wait, you say, I'm multi-passionate. I have no idea which of my million passions is the right one to make a business out of. That's exactly why I created the Dream Job Academy. Put your million and one passions through my signature Dream Job distiller framework, and you'll get back $1 million idea. Plus, you'll walk away with a 30-day action plan and a foolproof system for creating the next one when it's time to add another passion to your portfolio. If you're ready to love what you do so much that you never work a day in your life, snag the Dream Job Academy self-study course at jennyoconnorcom forward slash dream. And it sucks. And what really sucks is that it's so easy to beat yourself up over sunk costs. So again, another podcast topic coming up will be the sunk cost fallacy, why we continue to do things just because we feel like we've spent money and time and we can't get that back. So we just, you know, persistently continue on a path, which doesn't make us happy. And especially for people like us that that's, that isn't the way to do it. We have, we're, meanwhile, we're being pulled in a thousand other directions that we are really passionate about. And that is where we should be focusing our energy. So if you have a hard time finishing things, you might be an everything enthusiast. This might also apply to you. If, if you're the kind of person where once you're good at something, you're bored by it. So again, I'm not necessarily talking about mastery here. It would be hard to become masters of all of the different things that we're interested in, but good enough is good enough. Competency rather than mastery. When you become competent at a particular subject, you've gotten what you came for. 
it's time to move on to something else. People like this enjoy the process of being a beginner of learning, which is cool. That's that definitely I can relate to. Another one is if you keep changing directions. So this again goes back to kind of the squirrel thing again. Uh, you know, you're working on one thing and you're like, oh my God, I, I want to go check this out or I need to research this thing. And then you go down a rabbit hole of, of whatever that thing is. When you keep changing directions, sometimes you don't feel like you make any progress forward. And that can be frustrating and that can make you feel like you're failing at life. So that that's another um, another quality of an everything enthusiast. Perhaps you work at a job that you find pretty meaningless. So I'm going to use as an example, bartending, which I am allowed to say, because I am a recovered bartender myself. I did it for years, like 15, 20, a long time. And bartending especially is a really good job for people in artistic fields. If you're in a band, if you're an actor, for me, I'm being a writer. And for a long time, I was a, a food blogger and we'll, we'll talk about all that, but, um, it allows you to go to work, make your money, and then come home and have time to do other pursuits, the things that you are really passionate about. For some people, having a job like this is simply because they don't want to commit to anything bigger and make the wrong choice. So if you bag groceries at Trader Joe's, you know, that's, there's no like, sunk costs associated with that. And you haven't decided to go back to school to become a microbiologist and then discover that that actually bores the shit out of you. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll, Barbara share calls that job a good enough job. And we'll talk about what basically qualifies as a good enough job at a later time. But if you have a job like that and you work on your your side hustles, as a lot of people like to refer to them, then you might be an everything enthusiast. Also, if you ever feel lost when other people talk about their passion and purpose, and here again, this is, you know, me talking to my best friend who had, who's in his forties now and has done the same job since he was 16. It's easy to feel lost. It is easy to feel like I'm doing it wrong. Like how are there people that are just programmed like that? And they just figured out the thing. And they, I mean, like the people who talk about, I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was six years old. Like, holy crap. At one point I wanted to be a veterinarian, but then I changed my mind. And then I wanted to be an astronaut. And then I wanted to be an actor. And you know, like how do people do that? It's really easy for people like us to start to feel like we don't have a passion and that that makes us broken. I've kind of learned to change my perspective about this and see it as I have, I have a lot of passions, but for many people in this exact same position, they've just decided that they don't have a singular passion. They just like to do a lot of things and either way that you look at it, it's okay. You might be an everything enthusiast if you're at your best when you have many balls in the air. You like to juggle things. Um, some people say this is multitasking, but it's not. I'm going to argue that multitasking, I love this quote, and I'm sure I'm butchering it, is, is a way to be bad at everything at once. I totally believe that's true. I actually used to have a client who would be on the phone with me and sending emails simultaneously and responding to texts. And essentially we would get nothing done. I, I don't think that any of the three activities he was involved in were particularly being efficient, efficiently executed. And it just served to provide a lot of aggravation I, for me being on the phone while he was 
doing this stuff. I'm sure for the people that he was uh, responding to in those other side conversations. So I am not a fan of multitasking and that is not what I'm referring to here. When I say many balls in the air, that might mean that you have chosen to focus for um, the quarter or, or the year, you know, whatever your time frame is on five different projects and you work on one until you've exhausted your inspiration for the day and then you move to the next one. And I'll talk about um, how to set up a workstation so that if this is your style, you can kind of go from one project to the next to the next. I find that that makes me thrive. I think it is the coolest way to work and you should see my kitchen table. So yeah, many balls in the air, also an everything enthusiast. Along with that, your house is cluttered with half started or half finished projects. So kind of goes with the, with the having a lot of things going at the same time, being a juggler. I used to live with a roommate who was very, very tidy. And the fact that I was cluttery, not dirty, I certainly cleaned up after myself. Bathroom and kitchen were always clean, but cluttery because I would start a project and I wouldn't want to put all of the pieces of it away just because it was time to go to bed because I knew that that activation energy that, you know, getting started again the next day would be that much harder. If I put my sewing machine back in the box and took it upstairs and put it in the closet. So that's why having a space set aside to work in will really help you. If you are someone who loves to do a lot of different projects Uh, You might be an everything enthusiast if you suffer from FOMO. I'm not talking about like fear of missing out on a super fun event that all your friends got to go to and you didn't get to go to because you had to work. I'm referring to choosing a path and feeling like you're missing out on all of the other paths because you chose one. And that is so often the case with people like us is we feel like it's, it's a, you know, it's a life sentence. We decided to pursue this career. It's the only one we ever get to have. And that sounds like death to us. So if you suffer from FOMO, um, related to career choices, you might be an everything enthusiast. If you think you're too busy to accomplish your dreams, this applies to kind of everyone I know it's entirely the reason behind what made me want to become a creativity coach, because I think that the notion of dying with your gifts inside of you is so tragic and we can all find more time. Busy is bullshit. It's an excuse. I have an article with that exact title on my blog and 100% it, 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 it's about prioritizing. It is about not spending five hours in front of the TV. It's about a social media cleanse, all these different things. If you just are more intentional about your choices, you can find time. And I'm talking truly, if you are a mother of five and you run the household and you have a career and you are part of the PTA and you have a million things, like I get it. I get how busy you are, but It might be waking up 30 minutes earlier so that you can spend that time painting or writing in a journal. It doesn't even have to be something that you ultimately intend to turn around and try to make money off of. It can just be the thing that feeds your soul because you must do that in order to be present and available in a loving capacity for all of the people that matter to you. Okay. Last but not least, certainly this is a big one. I think pretty much for everybody, you always feel like an amateur. 
So essentially, if you try to make money from any of your passions, you feel like an imposter, imposter syndrome. You guys, this is like my nemesis. It probably is yours as well. And the cool thing about the more I I study and the more people I talk to in this arena is it happens to everybody. It happens to Tim Ferriss. It happens to John Assaraf, you know, some of the biggest names in, in any industry, like it doesn't matter. I truly believe if you don't have moments of feeling like an imposter, there might be a little bit of sociopathy going on there. Like you don't have the normal human emotions that tell you that you might be fallible for most of us. It, imposter syndrome works on overdrive. You have an inner critic who literally every day when you wake up is like, "Mm, you shouldn't do that thing. You're not good at it. Why would anybody care what you have to say? No one's listening. You know, do you make a million dollars a year? Why would anyone want your advice? All of those things can cause us to freeze in our tracks. And especially if you are someone who hasn't taken a direct line from point A to point B in your life, this sort of zigzag method where your progress occurs in slow little steps, the imposter can throw you off course like so easily. And, and it's, and it's terrible. It's hard to get back on course. So we will devote a lot of time, um, in the upcoming episodes to, you know, ways to deal with this and how to get out of a funk. If you're in one, um, I have a really cool interview scheduled for you on this particular subject that I'm super excited about. So yeah, so that really sums up what I had to share with you guys today. So are are you an everything enthusiast? Do you relate to these? How many of these things do you relate to? I would absolutely love to hear from you. The coolest part is when someone realizes that they are this thing and they never knew. They never knew that there was a name for them. They never knew that there were other people like them and and certainly they never knew that they weren't doing it wrong. So if you had any kind of insights like that, um, then I have done my job. That is what I'm here for. I hope that you will join me again in the upcoming weeks. I've got a lot of really exciting stuff planned. So come back and see me another time. Thanks so much, guys. Talk to you soon. So I hope you enjoyed the episode, boss fam. And if you ever want to ask me a question and effectively get some laser coaching, send me a message on Instagram at Jenny, the wordsmith, and I will answer on the air and even shout out your business in the future episode. I know you all have questions about being multi-passionate in business and in life. So please don't be shy. My goal is to help people like you step into the spotlight and make real money from their creative passions. I've created a ton of free resources to help you out with this. One of these is my 21 day dream job challenge that will help you find the work that lights a fire in your belly so much that you forget to eat and pee. We all want that, don't we? Start your journey today at jennyoconnor.com forward slash dream job. And until next time, there are seven days in a week and someday isn't one of them. Now get on out there and do the thing.